Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I have a long-anticipated guest, Stephen Twell, um, from Slock.it, S-L-O-C-K.it. And we're going to be talking about uh, smart contracts and perhaps some Internet of Things type applications. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much, Richard. Yeah, thanks for being tenacious and uh, taking the time to come. Um, so can you tell listeners what Slock.it does? Sure. In a nutshell, what we're building is a sharing economy platform uh, for customer discovery, uh, leveraging blockchain at its, at its core. So in, uh, in a, a very high-level description of it would be being able to rent, sell, or share just about anything that can be connected to the blockchain um, without almost any intermediary or certainly less intermediaries than we have today. So when you say rent or share, are you talking about equipment? Or are you talking about renting a home? What what would be the, um, like a real simple use case you could give to people listening? Sure. Um, well, the interesting thing here is, you know, the amount of different objects these days that are getting connected to the Internet that mediate access to things. So, for example, a, a lock can uh, provide access to a house, right? That would be a perfect example. So you have your, your Airbnb-type setup where somebody could go and uh, rent their, their house, but also their offices maybe at weekends when they're not using it. Uh, but that lock can also be used for maybe locking a, a locker box and put a drill inside and rent the drill. And obviously, you would need to set up a deposit at first so that if somebody runs away with the drill, the drill would be paid for. But, you know, theoretically, it's just about anything that can be protected by a lock. Interesting. So what made you think of this? Um, well, I don't <laughs> um, It's a long story. But in a nutshell, um, I, I was CTO uh, of Historium for, for about two years. And I was in a very lucky position to be able to talk to people every day about this technology and what they thought would be the killer app for Historium. And one thing that kept on coming back was the IoT and access control to things. Um, I met uh, Christoph Jens um, around the time I was leaving Ethereum, and uh, he had built prototypes of uh, door locks that would open and close based on blockchain transactions. And so that's how we uh, that's how we started the company. So okay. Um, so when you say blockchain. You're going to anchor into uh, the Ethereum blockchain or the Bitcoin blockchain? Which one? Oh, it's the Ethereum blockchain. I, you know, when I say blockchain, I tend to refer to to Ethereum because you know, me and myself and Christoph are both from the Ethereum world. Um, but really, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, one thing that's important to understand, maybe for your listeners, is that uh, ultimately these things are like databases, right? Um, so it's a little bit about arguing over or you know, even discussing. Um, if Facebook is using Hadoop or is it using Mapar, which are both sort of versions of, uh, of a type of database, no one really cares. I mean, at the end of the day, the question is, do you provide an interesting service that, that provides value to your end users? Does it save money or make money somehow? You know, the underlying technology is not the most important thing. Obviously, you know, we, we like the idea of being sort of one of the first companies that will let people discover what blockchain can do for them. So we do mention that we use blockchain. Um, 
but it's not the you know it's not the, the core focus of the experience here. So, what do you think will be the big use case? Will it be renting homes or commercial you know, real estate? What do you think yeah. it'll be? You know, that's a very good question. Uh, initially, I was convinced that it would be renting homes. I was just absolutely convinced. But um, I may have been proven wrong um, because we got a lot of interest from energy companies around the renting of uh, energy. So, for example, renting a charging station uh, to rent your car, uh, to charge your car, sorry. Um, that's, that's really taking off very well. We have a live uh, project uh, that's coming up in the next few weeks called uh, shareandcharge.com. Um, it's, it's in German, so apologies for the, uh, for the English listeners, but uh, it gives, yeah, if you go on the website, you get a rough idea of what it's all about. Um, the idea is if you have a charging station, you know, to charge your Tesla or your electric car, you can rent it to other people um, and, and recoup the cost of that investment. So it's, it's good for the person who has the electric car because nobody likes to buy charging stations. They're expensive and bulky. Um, it's good for the people who drive around with electric cars because it creates more charging points. There's not that many in Germany. It's about 45,000 charging stations in the whole country, which is really, you know, it's several um, a million uh, people uh, type country. So it's, it's a little bit small. Um, and we hope to change that. Um, and it's good for the company that sells the charging station because obviously now they have another feature to promote and obviously they sell the underlying electricity, right? The electrons that flow through the station. So everybody, everybody earns something out of this. So why is it important to use blockchain for it? Is it the payment aspect of it, uh, making that very efficient? Uh, well, you know, what is it about blockchain that lends itself well to this kind of application? That's a very good question. Um, so it's really what well, exactly like you said. You know, it's the transactional aspect of it, whereby data is transferred from A to B, can also have money associated to it. So from a, a payment perspective, um, you, you're looking at a much more simplified workflow uh, where money flows from A to B. It doesn't have to go through 60 different payment providers. Uh, never mind when you're talking about charging cars, you're talking about charging cars across multiple countries, you know, in Europe. Um, and, and we certainly want to see this, um, this, this, this pilot extended to, to the rest of Europe. So having a payment solution that's straightforward based on cryptographic tokens makes life a lot easier for the underlying accounting. Um, the second thing that it's really good for is making objects autonomous and creating uh, savings. Uh, where they, they couldn't be achieved before. So, for example, um, these charging stations belong to obviously peers, uh, but we can also look into uh, the charging stations that already belong to energy companies, the government, third party operators, franchises, etc. And all these guys um, are quite keen to see uh, charging stations that can actually function autonomously because you can just then lock them around towards the nearest supermarket, stick them in there, and say, off you go. You know, and, and the thing just runs. Um, there's, there's, there's some a lot of cost savings around this uh, in the in the energy market. Um, so that's that's why uh, blockchain lends itself quite well to this. Now, of course, we don't expect people to pay with cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think it's too early for that. I mean, some will, but not obviously not everyone. In fact, I think the last vast majority will instead use euros. Obviously, um, we have a partner with a permanent provider that converts. Uh, your real euros to crypto euros that are mass one to one, and um, are, you know, if you have one crypto euro in the system, you also have one real euro on a, you know, in a real bank account and held in escrow by a reputable payment provider. That also really helps. 
um, which which alleviates the issue of obviously um, yeah crypto not being that popular at this point in time. But the long term vision for all this is that people will do more and more of their stuff using crypto wallets, things like status.im, Mist, you know, tools of that nature. Um, we're not there yet, so we're putting in place the foundations and building bridges with the real world so that, or the existing world, I should say, so that people can already use the services and, and one day use them truly without intermediaries. So, you know, what aspects of the transaction will be on the blockchain? Which ones won't? You know, there's the financial part. What about the data that's garnered from the charging itself or the usage? Will that be on blockchain somewhere or will that just be in the, you know, in the company's databases that own the chargers? Yeah. So the ones, the charging stations that are at home, that data stays home, which I think is really important. Um, the ones that belong to the energy provider, such as Energy, for example, that data still makes its way around the data analytics server of the Energy Corporation. That's that's their data. Okay. It's their charging station. So can you take me through, um, you know, a basic transaction for this application specifically? What happens? Where does the money flow? Sure, sure. Um, so in a nutshell, you, you roll up to a charging station, or I should say first you maybe discover it through your mobile app, right? So you crack it open and you see that, hey, you know, I need, I need a charging station right now because my car is about to run out of use. Um, you locate one nearby. Pretty straightforward stuff, right? Imagine it's a very similar experience to Airbnb, really. Um, you you locate one, you roll up next to it, you plug it. You well, first you you take your mobile phone and you scan the charging station, identifies the charging station, identifies you at the same time, obviously. Um, and then uh, you're able to charge the vehicle by plugging it in, right? Just like you would any other charging station. So from a charging experience really doesn't change anything. It just opens up new charging stations, the standard charging station experience. The only thing maybe it does that um, is a little bit non-standard, at least, in, at least in Europe. I don't know about the United States, right? But in Europe, it's pretty rare to find um, charging stations that will actually uh, charge you per you know, per the energy used or in a granular fashion. Usually, it's more a case of, you know, you buy one hour off. Um, and, and, and that's it, you leave the car run, you know, next to the charging station, you do your shopping, you come back. So here it's a little bit more granular. Um, you're able to just charge it for five minutes. I'm not sure if that would be really helpful, but you could if you wanted to, um, or charge it for a much longer period of time. And, and that's it. Uh, the transactions we can find on the, on the blockchain, all the accounting is done on the blockchain. Um, what uh, needed to be done in terms of data analytics is handled by the phone application, just like any other phone application. If the charging station belongs as I said, to Energy, then notifies obviously that this transaction happened and everything is reconciled uh, with their with their traditional, I should say, accounting system in the in the evening. So um, I say Energy, which is obviously the partner with whom we build this, have been. I think, in my opinion, uh, very forward-thinking in their approach here because the citizen did not have to uh, try to work with open systems. I mean, you know, we're talking about the public Ethereum blockchain here. This isn't a private chain or anything like that. Um, so it's pretty exciting stuff. Very interesting. Um, what other applications uh, are coming to you or did you think of that are unexpected? Um, hmm. um, we had a lot of lockers. Type company, you know, Amazon Locker type uh, companies out there. So I think that will be a big part of our so-called universal sharing network, which is this sharing platform we're, we're building this year. Um, 
so that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, we had a mayor of a small town in Germany who was thinking about installing these lockers uh, in, in every, near every house. So you would essentially have a reverse post box where you could leave objects and being able to go and rent stuff um, or make stuff available through that post box. So I thought that was really cool. Um, there's some logistics impact. And I think, I think, in fact, we're finding, I suppose what surprised me the most is we're finding municipalities, government authorities, you know, everybody that we've been told would be hostile to this technology to actually being very friendly to this technology because they see it as a way to sort of differentiate themselves and promote themselves, you know. So a mayor obviously benefits because the town on the map, you know, this town uses blockchain, that's pretty cool. Um, and even governments, we received a prize from uh, the German Department of Transportation around the Sharon Charles project. Um, and I, I, that was that was fairly unique, you know. I thought that's also pretty boldy for a government to say, yeah, this is a this is an interesting technology and we need to look into decentralization. It's interesting because when an object um, is hooked to a blockchain, it seems like it makes theft very, very difficult because if, um, let's say, the charging stations, mm. if they're only on a blockchain and if charging stations have to be on a blockchain, you know, how could you, for instance, steal one or co-opt it for another use? If the only way it's really going to function or get into use is to be on this, this public blockchain, then it seems to um, make theft impossible. And it also seems to mm. allow you to, um, to know if it's functioning properly as well. You know, it doesn't yeah, sort of get mean, lost, yeah. shuffled. Yeah, that's actually, you know what, I didn't think of that. <laughs> um, I always say um, I always say that um, actually cryptographic uh, identification uh, and, and just, you know, public-private key infrastructures in general tend to not improve security um, that much. I mean, they do, you know, but at the same time they don't in the sense that if I have a house, uh, imagine just any standard house, uh, you know, like a proper suburban home, I could always grab a brick, throw it through the window, climb in, and steal stuff, right? If it's a car, it's even easier or more cycle. I can just load it on a, on a, on a vehicle in a truck and, and run away with it, I suppose. So that's why I always said, you know, no, it does not make the object more secure. But you're right. If the object was purely, uh, the object's functions, purely limited to blockchain, and if, there's, there's two ifs there, and if it's, blockchain abilities, right, were somehow embedded in the hardware itself, so much so that, you know, to it would be non-trivial at the very least to remove that functionality, then yes, uh, you know, that's, um, that would definitely help uh, towards, uh, you know, prevention of theft or make theft pointless. I believe, in fact, Nick's, uh, Nick Zabo um, had written extensively about that around MEMS, which is like micro-machine. And he had actually uh, theorized uh, something around the lines of if an object would accept payment, and if that payment was done, obviously it's an example, so through Bitcoin, um, it would um, you would essentially have machines that that are owned by themselves, which I think is pretty exciting stuff. You know, fully autonomous machines that earn their own money, their own keep, and if they're pointless, they get thrown away because they can't pay for their rent on the blockchain or they can, cannot pay for their rent in the real physical world. Uh, but if they're successful, they could be rich machines. And I think it's Bill Gates who was talking about machines paying tax recently, and a lot of people criticized him and said, oh, what is he going on about? You know, what, we already pay enough tax. What would, what would our machine pay tax? And I think that's the point they didn't quite get. It's no longer your machine. 
they're, they're their own, you know. So absolutely, they should pay tax, in my opinion, you know. Yeah, I could see distributed ownership, but I don't know if anyone would, you know, someone has to make the machine in the first place started. But, but I could see definitely a, a distributed ownership model. Right. Where I, I think you're right. Something. Yeah. I think you're right. I yeah, think that's another something we've learned as well uh, last year, really, was that um, uh, incentivization is key to all of this. So, you know, it's nice to say, oh, yes, with Ethereum, we don't need uh, Uber. We can just make our own Uber. Um, uh, yes right. and no, you know, it's kind of like, yes, it's true, but we're actually going to write the code. Um, so shared ownership in the concept like a co-op, that works quite well. I can see, you know, I can, I, and we've seen it last year, you know, Uber drivers, I don't know if people have been following this, but in France, I mean, there they were riots, but people fighting, literally fighting, fist fights uh, between Uber drivers and, and taxi drivers. And we've even seen Uber drivers going on strike, which makes absolutely no sense if you think about it, because they're technically not employed by the Uber corporation, but they were going on strike. Uh, creating, you know, sort of rolling uh, roadblocks uh, at near airports. Uh, saying, yeah, Uber is taking too much money from us. It takes 30%. That's too much. Um, huh. and yeah, it's too much, you know. And um, you can kind of think maybe one day they get so fed up with these companies that they decide, you know what? We're just going to pool all our money together. Like everybody gives 20 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks. I don't know, something like that. And... We're going to hire a company to build a blockchain-based application that would reproduce what Uber does, but pretty decentralized, and all the money is then re- redistributed to that organization, maybe for its own development, or maybe the profit goes to go to the, you know, the share ownership based on how much you contributed to it. I can see that happening eventually, but like you said, there's, there's a need for incentivization, but I think more importantly, there's a need for uh, education. Um, I think most people don't even know this technology is out there. Yeah, for an object... Um... For security, when an object uh, becomes such that its use only comes from the blockchain, or that um, you know, in a particular niche, like like you said, uh, charging stations, when mm-hmm. it becomes so commonplace that the only way they're used is on a blockchain, then the object itself only derives its use, or is only useful when it's plugged into the blockchain. And that seems like it would prevent theft. It would help you keep inventory of things. It would give you a lot of knowledge into what's going on with um, with that particular object. You know, or with charging stations in general, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the I, I don't want to oversell the whole data analytics aspect of it, though, because it's early days for blockchain. You know, like we're, we're right. talking about systems that inherently are not that scalable. It's systems that are pretty expensive to run still to this day. Systems that are pretty slow as well. Um, so, you know, coming from a data analytics background, I know how much data needs to be crunched for this stuff to become variable. And at the moment. At the moment, it's not possible to do it with blockchain. So maybe you know when when the uh, when the technology gets to the point where blockchain is as fast as uh, traditional RDBMS, um, which I think will take a long time. You know, we're talking 10, 20 years, maybe even more. Then yes, yes, I think at that point it will completely redefine how we think about data ownership. For the time being, though, I think we have to work with what we're given. Yeah, so where, where do you see um, Slock going this year and then the next two years? What's the plan and what other yeah. use cases are you going to roll out to? Yeah, so this year, you know, it's heads down. We, we just got uh, funded. Uh, we received $2 million in seed. Uh, and for us, this is our chance to build product. And that's really important. I think, you know, today we've operated for a year and a half. Uh, we've done pretty good for ourselves. 
uh, but we've very much been a company that was doing project work on behalf of larger corporates. Now, with the seed funding, that gives us a chance to actually go and build products that are ourselves, our own, and our own intellectual property, which uh, which allows us to scale. And so I think this year, we're going to recruit a lot of people, we're going to work hard, we're going to build products. We're probably not going to talk that much at conferences and, and so on. And instead, we're going to you know, be writing code and building stuff. And next year, 2018, I think that's when we're going to reveal the work that we've done this year and approach uh, manufacturers to integrate that technology into their products. Okay, very good. Well, where can people find out more information about Swap.it? Uh, you know, the best place is our website, uh, Slug.it, and um, the other place is Twitter, um, Slug.it Project, I believe, on Twitter, um, where we post uh, pictures of the, the kids we're working on and the various things we're doing. Uh, we're always doing one thing or another, and we like to talk about it. Sometimes I think we talk about it a little bit too much, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I'd rather sometimes maybe keep things a little bit secret, but we've, we're a pretty open company, so we do post a lot. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good, Steve. Anything else you want to bring up we didn't cover? No, I think we covered uh, we covered quite a lot of stuff. And uh, thanks for your uh, thanks for your idea around uh, making objects uh, harder to steal. Yeah, no problem. You know that's that's my <laughs> job partially. So yeah, brilliant. All right, well, um, you know, thanks for taking time and doing the podcast. I appreciate it. No, thank you, and you have a good rest of the day. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.